Welcome to the Entre Pastors Podcast. This show helps pastors think, act, and thrive as prosperous entrepreneurs. And now, here are your hosts, Les Hughes and John Sanders. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to episode number 29 of the Entre Pastors Podcast. My name is John Sanders. I'm here with my friend and co-host, Les Hughes. Les, what's happening, man? What's up, John? It's all good here. Great to see you again. Yeah, likewise, man. We've got an exciting show lined up today where you and I are going to take the mic. We don't have a guest to introduce. You and I are going to have a conversation that hopefully will be transformational for those in our audience. But before we get to that, Les, last week on the podcast, we shared a really big announcement. We had uh, David Hancock on as our guest and uh, shared this big announcement that you and I have been, essentially, we are going to be launching this Entree Pastors Press, an imprint of Morgan James Publishing. And this month, we're kind of focusing in large part on helping pastors think through getting a book of their own written and published and out into the world. And just real quick, before we get into our conversation today, we wanted to make our audience aware of a masterclass coming up here next week as we're recording this. So tell us a little bit about that masterclass. What's it all about? Yeah, well, it's going to be at 2 o'clock Central Time on March the 17th, and we're just going to talk about, should I write a book? And we're going to assume that the people that are on there believe that they probably should. And so we'll talk about how how to build a book, how to find the right audience, how to find the right voice, how to put together a book proposal that actually will get the attention of a publisher. So there's a, there's a lot to uh, the actual discipline and, and practice of building and writing that book in addition to the actual message. Yeah. Well, it's awesome. It's going to be great content that we're covering. It's totally free, this masterclass to join, but you do have to get registered for it. And the link for that is entrepastors.com slash masterclass. We'll uh, take you to the sign-up sheet to get registered for that, or the sign-up page, rather. It's not really a sheet. But uh, we'll get you signed up for that and uh, look forward to having that conversation with you as you explore that idea of writing a book of your own and getting it out there. So exciting things, man. Les, there's some really exciting things going on in the Entree Pastors community, and this is just another way that we're serving pastors. So I'm excited about it. Man, me too. Some really cool doors are opening up. We, when we started out, we had our ideas that 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 there would be about three different paths that um, pastors could take to help create other streams of revenue. But those have just they keep growing and and uh, getting more traction. And I'm I'm really excited about this one because it's it's gaining a lot of momentum already. And and I believe a lot of a lot of pastors, a lot of Christian leaders have something that have a message inside of them that can turn into a book. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, hey, in this week's episode, we're we're titling it Turning Up Your Financial Thermostat. And we're gonna break a couple rules here today, less at least uh rules for some people. That's we're gonna talk about a subject that for many is taboo. It's the subject of money. I, I don't know what your upbringing was around this issue, but for many in the Christian church and even you know among pastors, for, for many people, talking about money is, um, is an uncomfortable thing because it brings up a lot of voices from our past. It brings up a lot of you know kind of mindsets that are operating in the background of our, of our thinking that sometimes we're not even fully aware of. And it causes some people to be uncomfortable. So we're just going to kind of break those rules and talk about how do you turn up your 
financial thermostat? How do we set that a little bit higher to be comfortable with some things that maybe at one time in our life we weren't comfortable with? You, you up for that? Does it sound like a good conversation to have today? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. Well, so what I would contend, and if I can just share a little metaphor I've I've shared with other people over the years, less so often there are limiting beliefs that operate in the background of our mind. I, I like to use the metaphor of like apps that run on a smartphone um, or an iPhone. Again, I don't know what it looks like on an Android, but on an iPhone, I can start swiping up on my phone and realize I have like 67 apps that are open in the background running. They're slowing down my phone in some some ways. And I would contend that that a lot of times our thinking is like that, that there's some thoughts limiting beliefs that we have bought into. We don't see them because it's not the the main thing that's operating in front of us. But nonetheless, that app, if you will, is open in the background and it's affecting how we are relating to other things in our life. And so today we want to expose some common mindset struggles that pastors have when it comes to money. And uh, certainly these are mindsets that you and I have experienced in our own life and our upbringing. We've seen it in the church, and I'm I'm confident that our audience will relate to these as well. So where do we want to start with this list today, Les? Well, we can start with why we have the thoughts that we do around money and around wealth, whatever those thoughts are, whether it be we just, like as you said, it's just something that we don't talk about. It's a little bit off limits at our house. Why is that? Or if we have negative emotions that go along with those conversations, why is that? And I don't, I'll start with a personal anecdote, or at least um, something that I think is true of me and has been for a while now. There was a, a time when I was growing up that um, we just were reminded either, either, either verbally or by our actions, we were reminded that our, our family just at that time did not have a lot of means. Now, I, our needs were being met. I, I never remember being hungry as a kid or you know, worrying about where I was going to spend the night or things like that. But I can remember a, a time where as a, as a 13 or 14-year-old boy, I was, would stand in the grocery store lying with my mom while she pulled out food stamps to pay for our groceries. And just being honest, I wanted to run and hide. I was a teenager. I knew what that meant. Mm -hmm. And I shouldn't have had any shame about that any more than anybody should have shame about that. But I'm just saying I did because I knew that what our lifestyle was. And during that time I had, I can remember John having one pair of pants that I wore to school almost every day, if not every day, just because they, they fit me. You know, they weren't what we call back in the day, high waters, mm-hmm. you know, we still so call they, them they, that. Yeah. Would they fit me? And, um, and I, and I, and I didn't like the other things that I had, the other couple of pairs of pants that I had. So I wore those things every day. And anyway, my, my, um, my mom for a while, she raised us for a little while as a single mom, my brothers and I, and, uh, I can remember, you know, having almost begged to play little league baseball because, we were told we we just don't have money to do that. Yeah. And I wasn't, I wasn't mature about it as a, as a 12 and 13 year old boy, but I'm just, even, even today, I think that I, I wanted to make certain that, you know, right or wrong. I wanted to make certain that there was language that I didn't use with, with our kids. If I, 
if I if there was something that our kids wanted, I tried really hard not to say we don't have any money because mm-hmm. that wasn't true. If I told them that, and then my wife and I were ended up going out of town for a few days, it it would have been like I thought you said we don't have any money. You you're gonna go you know <laughs> party for a while. And so what? But we were honest. We'd say we're we're not gonna do that right now. Mm-hmm. You know, not not go into a long discussion about why. Just say we're just not going to do that, or or one of us might say we're just not going to spend that much money on that right now. Yeah, that, but that's different than we don't have any money. Well, I can tell you less. First of all, I appreciate you sharing that just transparently from your background, and I share something very similar. Although maybe one difference for me was that I also made a direct connection between being poor as a kid and being in ministry because I grew up in a pastor's home. And again, my needs never went unmet. I have a lot to be, so much to be grateful for. But I can tell you this, that without knowing it, my dad especially helped pass on to me a a poverty mentality by reminding me, and probably had to remind me because I constantly was asking for things, but still reminding me, (laughs) we don't have money. And even connecting that lack of money to ministry. Now, again, it was often with this spiritual positive upbeat, like we're doing this for the Lord. So... I guess I was supposed to like the fact that we were poor, but like he would tell stories of this was like when I was still just a little baby. Um, so I didn't, I don't remember, I don't have memories of these things, but he, he would tell the story of at one time things were so bleak in our uh, family's financial situation. Like they're the only food in the house was a loaf of bread and how someone from the church just dropped by that night with some tomatoes from their garden and how grateful my mom and dad were to have tomato sandwiches, you know? And again, like, I don't that I don't know if that was supposed to make me feel good when he told me that story but it didn't. It put something in me of this poverty thinking and and I experienced it. I saw it and basically was taught, "Hey, if you're going to serve God in ministry, you're going to be poor." You fast forward a couple decades in my life less and when I when I was struggling with that call of God on my life into pastoral ministry, man, that was a huge part of my reluctance to go. It's like I I love you, God. I just, I just don't like what pastors get paid. I'm, I, and so I had to work through that. And at that time in my life, the way I worked through that was to say, the the rewards are eternal, and I'll just accept, you know, tomato sandwiches, and that's it. You know, as if I'm going to be a pastor, that's what I'm, what I have to expect. Now, again, I, I had a little bit better run on things than than my parents did in their generation, but still, like that poverty mindset was instilled in me. And I hear it in the voices of so many pastors that you and I hear from in the conversations that we have. There's many probably in our audience that have some very negative viewpoints and negative mindset around the issue of money. So, And and there's another way that that plays out too, Les, in ministry. A lot of times as pastors, when they we get something nice or have something nice, we often feel the need to like apologize for it or give an explanation as to you know how good of a deal we got. Have you ever experienced that or seen anything like that? Well, I've experienced it myself, and I sure have seen it with other people. I have um, <laughs> I have a, a friend who's in ministry that recently purchased a car, pretty nice car. It happens to be used, but it still is an upper considered an upper end model car. It, 
Well, I won't say what kind it is because he might listen. He'll know. To this. He'll know we're talking yeah. about him. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, but when I saw that car, I admired it, and it really is cool. And he started going into all of these reasons that well, it was a great deal, and it's a better deal than even a old, if I had this old pickup truck and blah blah blah. I didn't care about all that. I was ha- genuinely happy for him. He just was dealing with a lot of stuff because he's been in ministry a long time. And I'm sure that he's probably done things like that and been criticized by people and was just trying to kind of rationalize it to me out of a, out of habit, really. Uh, recently, I got a, a new set of golf clubs. All right. I just went out and I, I bought Uh-oh. some irons. Confession time. And, and they're not, and they're nice ones. And I am going to really enjoy playing with these, with this set of irons. And, but even internally, and I've done all the mindset work internally, I wanted to start saying, yeah, what the, I had the other ones for 10 years and they were kind of banged up and blah, 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 blah. It doesn't matter. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted some golf clubs. God blessed me with some money to get them. And so I went and got those. I shouldn't have to make a whole lot of rationale and excuses, just kind of own those decisions. It's okay. If now I should feel guilty if my family has to do without something or if I'm being a poor steward because I made that decision. Sure. But that's not the case. Always just just because you make that decision doesn't lead to those other things. Yeah. Well, I think for for us as pastors less, we just become accustomed. Maybe again, let's go back to that thermostat. The thermostat is set pretty low and we've just become comfortable at that financial temperature to not expect many nice things, to feel a little bit of guilt or shame or the need to apologize or explain things away because poverty and serving the Lord in pastoral ministry usually are kind of a hand-in-hand synonymous thing. And if it isn't, if it's not our own expectations, we don't have to look far for that to be imposed by others as well. Just we're kind of comfortable with pastors not making much money. So there's a, there's a poverty mindset there's also a scarcity mindset. Like if if we were to talk about how do you break out of that, you know, some of these limiting beliefs, and we think there's a difference between poverty and scarcity. In some ways that they may sound like the same thing, but scarcity is a little bit different. Like what do you what goes through your mind when you hear me say the word scarcity <laughs> mindset? Okay, I'm gonna come back to that in one second, but a, a caveat first, and that is that that please listener, please know that John and I are not being critical of very small congregations who do what they can, you know, to, to compensate a, a pastor or a staff member. We're not, I mean, we accept a call to go somewhere. And if we accept, we accept the compensation that goes along with that. So that's not what this is about. Our message is that we can make decisions that don't limit us to whatever a church is able to compensate us for in in that salary. Like there are, there are other ways to generate income and generate wealth in a, in healthy ways where there's not a, there's not a ceiling or a cap just depending upon where you serve or the congregation you serve. That's what we're saying here. Yeah, I, I'm so glad you said that because often I do put that disclaimer out there, Les, that this our message isn't about how pastors can get their churches to pay them more. Maybe in some cases that needs to happen or that's part of the conversation, but there's so much more to this than us saying, hey, you should get paid more from your church. My issue really isn't with the church, like you say. It's with helping pastors expand their thinking 
to realize you have some options at your disposal that you don't have to be limited to a single income from a church, especially, especially when that church is not in a position to pay you very well. So yeah, thank you for, for calling out that disclaimer. So a scarcity mindset versus an abundance mindset is a scarcity mindset believes that when I, uh, when I gain something, then somebody else is losing it. And if, and if I pay somebody something, they're gaining, but I'm losing it. And an abundance mindset is we both win if I'm making a sound purchase or, or doing something that's going to benefit both of us. In other words, there's not a, a, a limit to the possibilities of wealth or earning income out there. It's just a matter of me thinking outside the box and being creative and being persistent and working hard and making good decisions and surrounding myself, uh, surrounding myself with the right people. You know, it's, it's all the things that we talk about on, yeah. on this show and, and in our community. I've heard it compared to like a piece of pie. When we think of like like money as in a pie, someone has a big slice of pie that automatically leaves less pie for the rest of us. Or if if I would happen to get a nice size slice of pie, now I'm getting hungry for pie less as I'm talking about this, but <laughs> if I get a bigger good. slice, now there's less for you because I because I took a bigger piece. And that's not how money works. Like wealth is not this limited thing that it's scarce, but so often with our upbringing and the messages we've received around money and how low our thermostat is around finances, we see it in scarcity thinking. We see it that, man, if less has a lot, that means I don't have as much, or if I have some, that's less for you. And so, yeah, we, we, it's the exact opposite of abundance thinking. We do not serve a God of scarcity. We serve a God of abundance, and wealth is an abundant thing. There is wealth mm-hmm. is created. There's so much more, and we'll get into that, like how how that happens. But right now, we're just kind of calling out some of these things that help keep our thermostat set low. And a scarcity mindset is one of those where we see transactions as a win loss. Somebody wins, okay. someone else loses. Yeah, we don't have to be hypothetical. I, I'll give you a, a very a very specific example. Um, one of our first episodes, we had John Stange on our show. John does a lot of the things that we do. Yeah. John helps pastors earn uh, other sort. Uh, uh, he's got a community. He's, he's got a membership. He writes. He does a lot of. He's got a podcast. He does a lot of the things that we did. We did not hesitate to have John Stange on our show because it can it can help him grow his platform and his audience, and it certainly has helped us grow our platform and our audience. And he was the same way. He had an abundance mindset by saying, shoot, yeah, I'll come on your show. When yeah. you want me to come on, I hope you guys any way that I can. That is an abundance mindset. A scarcity mindset would have said, no, no, that's competition. If we have John on here, somebody might join his community instead of ours. Well, so what? If that allows someone to accomplish their goals more than ours will, then have at it. Now, hopefully that Maybe they'll be a member of both, you know, yeah, absolutely. That's an, but that's an abundance mindset. Yep. So another thing that we would point to, and this happens with pastors. Well, I would watch this less. This is going to, this is going to be deep. This happens with poor people. Poverty can lend itself to entitled thinking. And that's what we were going to talk about. Some pastors have an entitlement, like a spirit of entitlement around them. And I would contend it actually flows out of poverty because we get accustomed to having our hand out, asking for people to give us things, 
or just out of the generosity of people, sometimes they recognize, man, I want to bless my pastor. I'm going to give this or that to my pastor or to their family. And we almost get to the point where we are a little dependent slash entitled where we start expecting it. I'm embarrassed. I don't even want to give too many stories like this, but I will admit, Les, there's been a couple times that I've shown up as a pastor thinking, well, maybe this doctor won't charge me for this service because he's going to find out I'm a pastor and I know he's a believer. And I never said that out loud to him or to anyone else. I'm just now, since it's confessional time, I'm sharing it with you. But, you know, like deep down having this expectation that, man, maybe he'll take pity on me because of my small income and not charge me for the services, the very valuable services that he's providing for me. Um, you know, I've, I've experienced that and I'm sure I'm not the only one that's invented that. Right. Well, here's a, a, a message for some of our, uh, younger pastors or, or younger ministers. And that is that when you start out normally, because you don't really expect that, that's sort of the, one of the fringe benefits of really being in ministry is that people do want to bless you. You're blessing them from Sunday to Sunday or, or, you know, in, in the hospital room or, you know, where, wherever in the community or as they serve alongside of you. And they just want to figure out a way to bless you. They're not going to be able to, they don't think they could teach you many things about the Bible. Maybe they could, but they don't think they could, but they can take you out to lunch or they can help pay for your vacation or they can um, give you some money for you and your kids to go to Disney world or, or just pick up the tab. So here's the warning though, is guys um, continue to be grateful for that when it happens. And because the the progression, if you're not careful, is you start you start out being grateful, and then we take it for granted, and then we can start to feel entitled. That's a terrible, terrible place to be, and it's a bad witness, in my opinion, to be there. And so, guys, I would please I ask you to take the phrase ministerial discount out of your vernacular. Just don't use it. Yeah. And I'll throw another one in there, just personally, um, and especially I think as I've uh, become more seasoned in ministry, John. Now this takes a little bit of discernment, but normally when I take a, a church member out, I'll make sure that I can figure out a way to pick up the tab before they do. I know they want to, and they probably expect that I do want them to, but don't get alligator arms or, or tear it out, whatever they're <laughs> transverse T-Rex arms. Yeah. When that check comes, man, if you want to bless that person, do it when they don't expect it, because you know what? They're, they're probably giving already. They're probably serving already, and your church should be able to afford to bless that person when they don't expect it. And again, now this this takes a little discernment because how that can manifest itself in a negative way is we don't let somebody bless us out of our sense of pride. Right. Oh, no, no, no. We don't want to. So sometimes people, we need to receive that blessing. Yeah. That's where it takes a little bit of discernment and some wisdom to kind of know, you know, this is a, this is a time that I need to receive this blessing. No, this is a time that I need to be the the blessor. Yeah, and I receive everything you just said there, Les, but I'm going to give just a small bit of pushback because you just touched a PTSD nerve inside of me with that simple statement about, you know, your church should have some funds for you to be able to pick up the tab. And I don't disagree, but I'm, I'm going to speak on behalf of my tribe, the small town rural church folks, because I was told that all the time over the years, like, well, pastor, your church should just have a, you know, reimbursement you know, line item in the budget to reimburse you for some of these things. And it's like, that sounds amazing. I wish our church actually had money for me to be able to take someone out to lunch. I wish there were money in the budget for me to be able to jump on an airplane and fly to a conference or whatever the case may be. So 
well, that's true, and in, in maybe a little bit, you know, larger churches or churches with a little bit more resources, that's a reality. But again, I know many pastors where for them to even be able to take to do what you just said, not on the church's dime anyway, maybe out of their own no. finances, but not out of the church's. And there you budget. go. All all the more reason to put into practice the things that we're talking about. There because what if you could be in a position where you didn't have to? That's part of what our message is, where you didn't have to take it out of the church's funds, but you just, you know, God's blessing me or something else that I've got going on. We could talk about that, yes. I think, in the backstage. Yep. Some I've I've got a way that I can do that and it not cost the church one bit. Yeah. In the backstage portion, Les and I are going to share some stories from our own entree pastor journey of where our businesses helped us flip the table on that and flip the script on that a little bit. So stay, stay tuned for that. But one more thing, one more kind of negative mindset that I want to call out here, Les, as we talk about what is it, you know, when you think about that thermostat that's set low on finances, I'm just going to label this next one financial ignorance. And I don't mean ignorance in a name-calling sort of way. I mean it in its literal sense. Like, you are unaware of how money works. And I think a lot of pastors fall into this. I'm going to call something out that, again, may step on some toes and sound a little offensive. But I think sometimes we dress up our ignorance or, dare I say, even laziness with some spiritual-sounding things like, oh, I'm just going to have faith that God's going to provide and as if as if somehow mean having faith in God's provision, which is a great thing, and we should put our faith and, and trust in God as our ultimate source of provision, but as if somehow that gives me then an excuse to not learn some things about money. And I would contend this is this is beyond just pastors, this is people in general. Most people in our society today have no idea how money works. They don't know how wealth is created. It's by the way, it's one of the reasons we have such negative thinking toward money. And, and people who have wealth because we don't understand how money works and how they got it. So we start saying negative things that kind of demonize people that have it. And if we're doing that with our mouth, believe me, it's not long before our subconscious mind says, hey, don't worry, John, I will make sure you never become one of those evil wealthy people. And when when in all reality, what the, the issue is, I don't know how money works. I'm just very ignorant or clueless about how do you grow wealth and I didn't grow up in a home where I was taught a lot about how to build wealth. Again, I saw the the poverty, the scarcity. I didn't see a plan laid out in front of me where if you want to be wealthy, this is how you do that. So what would you say to that that whole thing of financial ignorance, Les, from your perspective? Well, the good I'd say there's good news. And the good news is that these are learned skills, like a lot of the things that you do. It's not a it's, some people don't just have the Midas touch. There are some things that they know and some habits that they've in, uh, integrated in their lives, you know, and, and God does bless who God blesses, but normally God does not do random and he doesn't do arbitrary. And when you have, you probably have some people in your church, maybe some business owners in your church, and it seems as if everything that they do turns to gold and it always works. First of all, that's not true. You just don't know about some of the setbacks and failures that they've no. had. But overall, there are people who figure this out and and come up with some 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 principles and some habits that they would be glad to share, probably with somebody that's that's sincerely asking, such as their pastor. Yeah, which really is a great turning point here to kind of turn the conversation now to to talk about. So what's the opposite of that? If those are if those are mindsets that keep our financial thermostat low, what is the opposite to start 
dialing up that financial thermostat. And and I'm just going to go right off of this one. If if one of the things that keeps us broke is taking advice from broke people and dressing it up as spiritual, you know, nonsense of I'm just going to have faith and not pay attention to any of this. The opposite would be, like you said, Les, I can develop and grow in spiritual, in, in uh, financial literacy. Like I can actually learn how money works. And for me on my journey, Les, I don't know what this has looked like for you, but for me, podcasting, just listening to numerous podcasts from people who are winning in that area of life, reading the books of people who are winning in that area of life. And then more recently, getting involved in masterminds where I am surrounded by people that are playing at a much higher level than me has all of that has helped me grow in my financial literacy and say, Oh, well, wait a minute. There's actually a way that I could still serve God in the calling he's placed upon my life and not do it from a place of poverty and scarcity, but I actually could do it from a place of wealth and, and enjoy some of those benefits that wealth brings into my life. And so I'm I'm happy to say that by no means have I got it all figured out, but I've learned some things about money and how money works, and it's changing my life in a really good way. What about you? Absolutely. And I would just say, when you do when you do this, be careful, you know, and and make certain that it's um, that what you what you see is actually what's going on. You know, I can remember a few years ago going to Universal Studios, and I thought it was so cool that you could go down this. Uh, so this this uh, street where it looked like there was these tall buildings and skyscrapers, and then you look right behind them, and it's just a facade. There's, there's it's literally just things that they're propped up by boards. You know, mm. some people's financial lives are like that. And I knew I knew a man several years ago that lived in a huge house in a nice neighborhood and all kinds of cars and kids went to the right kinds of schools, and he just got out of uh, prison. Because the things that he was doing weren't weren't legal, hmm. so I would say, t- do your homework. Don't trust just anyone. Um, but when you get to know somebody well enough, then you can see, you know, this this is a person that has got their house in order, and they're they're generous, and they they might it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't um it's not determined by the house that they live in or the vehicles that they drive. There there are other things. It's more of a lifestyle. Um, but you surround yourself with those kinds of, and it doesn't take many of them, John doesn't take many of them, you know, only a couple. Yeah. Well, my life has been so enriched and blessed by learning from people who have been successful and are successful with wealth and in a God honoring way. Again, like we hear so much about, you know, money's the root of all evil. I hope as pastors, we don't have to exegete that and, and help remind them it's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not money itself. Money is not the issue. And it is possible to have your priorities in order to love God, to love others, and then to learn some things about how money works and to grow in that right. financial um, you know, literacy to where you can actually be one of those people that is building and growing wealth. By the way, a little rabbit trail I want to take here, Les, because uh, something you and I have talked about that I, maybe this would be a good place to insert this. At Entree Pastors, we really want to help expand a pastor's thinking to be open to this idea of financial freedom or or even financial independence. We'll, we'll kind of maybe make a distinction between the two. But for so many pastors, they just, I think, just going back to my own journey, that is a thought that 
To think that I could ever be financially free or independent is so far beyond the realm of my current reality for so many pastors. Mm -hmm. And I hope that you and I can use our voices in this podcast and the community that we're building to bring other people's stories to help pastors dream a little bit bigger and go, that could be possible for me. I could be in a place of financial freedom and financial independence. And you and I have talked less for some pastors, man, just a side hustle where they're just making maybe an extra a thousand dollars a month could could be a game changer for them. Which we would kind yeah. of put that in like the financial freedom category, right? Just the freedom you you have more options when you have some more resources. But then for others, like what if, what if you actually became financially independent? And I'll just share the quick definition of that as I've heard it, and then you can riff on it a little bit less. And that that is. Financial independence is when you reach a place where you your passive income is enough, it's generating enough income that it is paying for your bills to where you literally are not dependent upon a paycheck. And I'm not saying every pastor should get to that place. I'm not saying it should be all of our goals to get there. But what if it were possible? And what if that number is not as big as you think it might sound like it needs to be to right. be in that place of financial independence. So what goes through your mind when you hear me unpack mm-hmm. those terms of financial freedom mm-hmm. and financial independence? Well, what what you just said is true. That number actually doesn't need to be as big as some people imagine it might need to be once you, you're you out of debt for all intents and purposes, once your uh, children are adults and, and, you know, kind of not on the payroll anymore, living at home and our needs change. So now's the time when you're, when you're in those younger years or anytime, really now's the time to start deciding what do I want my financial life to look like, and then reverse engineer that so that you can get there. It's just a matter of math. We tend to get caught up in the drama and the emotion mm. of it all. When if you can take all of that out of there, and there are people that can help you take all that out of there, yep. like we have in our world, especially with entree pastors, is they can look at it objectively and just do the math and not get caught up in all the emotion and the feelings and the and the drama of it. And something else that you said, when we mentioned the term passive income, some people um, have been in um, somebody's den or in a hotel seminar room and seen a, a presentation on an easel or a PowerPoint of a what might be a, some kind of pyramid scheme or some some kind of multi-level thing. And that we're not referring to that. There are some people that do very very well and do. And if that's legitimate, that's real work. I mean, network marketing. It is work, right? Mm-hmm, right. But that's not what it used. It, we're not talking about just mailbox money where you sign enough people up and you start reaping the benefits of it. Passive income, income or recurring income or passive income could be because you're, you've been, you've made good investments in real estate and you have some rental income or even um, your retirement accounts of some sort. Or if you build a platform, you could have, we would talk about books, pro, uh, courses, coaching. I mean, uh, doing other kinds of speaking, if that's, you know, if, if that's in your skill set, there are, there are lots of ways to do that and, and have that turn into what some people refer to as passive income or what can be recurring income. It does passive income is not lazy income. That's good. It's just, you, you just work, work hard for that now 
so that it continues to reap the benefits later. I was having a conversation with one of my kids the other day, and they know about the things that we're involved in and, and how it's growing. And um, our, that, that adult child made the comment, Dad, if this kind of stuff keeps on going, one of these days, I mean, that's going to turn into some you know, real money for you and mom. And um, they were right, and we're already seeing that. And, yeah. and I would say we... I mean, that's why we know that this is possible. Yeah. I, I love the distinction you make about passive income. A couple of things I want to just give some commentary to. First of all, there's a lot of people out there that will sell you a course or a product, to, you know, telling you how you can get rich. Passive income, the way we're talking about it, is not some get rich easy, get rich quick thing. It's not a lazy sit back and do nothing. Well, you just, the money rolls in. It takes work to develop recurring income or passive income, if, if you want to use that word. Um, but the thought really, a, a, maybe a different thought I would share is just getting pastors comfortable with the idea of multiple streams of revenue. That's one thing, that's one thing that le- wealthy people do and know is that you don't just rely on one stream of income. And then the other thought here too, Les, is that it's getting people out of the mindset of wealth is created when I trade my time for dollars. That mm-hmm. that is, you know, we talk about financial literacy. One podcast that I've and book that I've learned from and listened to often over the years is Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Poor Dad, and in there he talks about the cash flow quadrant. And I won't go deep into the details of this, but if you imagine a, a quadrant with four uh, sides to it or four parts of the quadrant. You've got on the left side, he talks about the employee and self-employed. Those two are in our society, the, the groups of people that are usually struggling the most financially. If you are a W-2 wage earner where you're just cl- punching a time clock for someone, or if that someone that you're punching a time clock for happens to be yourself because you're self-employed, there's a huge difference when you cross over to the other side of that quadrant and you've got business investors and you've got you know professional investors, business owners. That is where wealth is, true wealth is really created. And um, so again, I'm not going to go deep into that, but it's about learning that financial literacy and recognizing that multiple streams of income is a great way to turn up that financial thermostat and go, man, what if I had an additional stream of income flowing into my family beyond just the church paycheck? What if I had two or three sources of income? And and so it's that idea of I'm not just punching a time clock for all of this. I'm doing some things that I can continue to serve people with. And eventually that stream of income becomes recurring, you know, passive, whatever term you like to use there. But this is all flows into this, this idea of having financial literacy and just developing that and recognizing this stuff isn't impossible. Like this is very possible to do. And man, if we can get pastors thinking bigger and turning up their financial thermostat, we can help them achieve this. And I'm excited about that. And really that's the conversation that, that that's what we mean when we start talking about financial independence and financial freedom, you know, financial independence would be the point where we arrive and it's just, we just don't have to think about, about it anymore, but financial freedom is something else. Financial freedom is being able to make some decisions because we do have multiple streams of income that we actually have a say in what that income and what that livelihood looks like. Otherwise, you're going into somebody's office or sitting down in front of a committee and making some sort of a case kind of with your hat in your hand and asking for 
and a raise or more income. That's not a, that's not a great feeling, man. Yeah. It kind of, we're, we're, we're advocating, we're, we're an advocate for being able to make some decisions ourselves and then our family reaps the benefits. Yeah. You know, as I'm keeping an eye on the clock here, Les, I don't want to keep our listeners too long on this. I'm just thinking about some of these other mindset destinations that I would love to get somebody to in terms of operating out of a sense of if we've identified poverty and scarcity as the, the negative, well, the flip side of that would be to get them to a place of abundance and a place of peace. I mean, can you imagine being in a place pastor of financial peace, like where money's not a source of struggle in your marriage. Money's not a source of struggle in your prayer life where you're constantly going back to God. How are we going to meet this need and please provide for this bill? Like what if there was a sense of peace because of the, the things we've done with this entrepreneurial opportunity that's in front of us to where, man, we have abundance. When, when we think about money, we have peace. There's margin in our budget there's the ability to do those kinds of things we were talking about earlier, Les, where we're not necessarily looking for who's bringing it to us. We actually are in a position now to give to someone else and to be a blessing in a different direction. So I'll let you wrap up with anything else you want to say here under this heading of turning up our financial thermostat, and then I'll lead us into the backstage for a minute. Yeah, real quickly, I would just amen what you said about margin. You know, when we can have margin in our lives, that margin itself and knowing that it's there takes away anxiety, whether whatever it is. If we have margin um, to get to the gate of an airport, then we can take our time. We can stop and get a cup of coffee. We can make a couple of phone calls. But when there's no margin there and that gate's fixing to close, there's there's no peace. Yep. You're, you're running, you're sweating, you're out of breath, your blood pressure's a lot higher. But when you got margin, there's peace. Same is true with finances and money. We're not advocating just having a huge stockpile of money to sit there and not those reasons that money is a tool. Mm-hmm. It's to be used. It's to be used for God's glory as well. Not just to sit there. You know, last week on, on Dan's podcast, he mentioned this ancient fable of a man that sold all of his everything that he had virtually and bought a gold brick or a gold rock. He went and buried it. Somebody saw him doing it. I'm making a long story short. And they stole it. One of his neighbors stole it. And he grieved over that, grieved over it, grieved over it. And someone else, a friend said, Hey, why don't you just go get a rock and go bury it in the same hole that you had that gold brick buried in. Mm. If you're not going to use it, one's just as good as the other. Wow. And so, but when we talk about margin, we're just talking about in case there is something that's unforeseen in emergency, then you don't have to go into debt, you know, put a bunch of stuff on a credit card. You, you don't have to let bills go, have something be, you know, repossessed because you couldn't afford it. Margin, it, it, and, and that amount, there's no certain amount. It's, it's different for everybody, but that's something that in our community we talk about. And again, it is a, it is something that can be learned. Absolutely. Well, in just a minute, Les and I are going to go backstage. And as I said a minute ago, we're going to share some stories of how owning a business, again, it gets back to that financial literacy. Like there's things people who own businesses know 
less that that allow them to build and grow wealth. There's some real advantages to being a business owner versus simply an employee. And so you and I are going to just share some of those benefits, some things that we have learned together, uh, not together, but on our own journeys. And we'll share those in the backstage conversation about how our businesses have helped us turn up the financial thermostat in our own lives. But before we do that, uh, we want to just uh, sh- sign off by sharing another opportunity coming up. We've got a really great event. You talk about growing in your financial literacy and getting around the right kinds of people. Les, we've got the Entree Pastors B3 Retreat coming up on May 17th through the 19th. We're calling it B3 because why? Les, tell us the story. Because it's about the beach, about business, and about breakthroughs. There you go. So the the uh, what we're promising is that you're going to come be a part of some great conversations at a beautiful place, get outside of your normal comfort zone so that you can think creatively about what the possibilities are. And we want you to be able to walk away with some specific business ideas or business plan, if that's what your greatest need is. And then just as important, the connections to key relationships to help you move forward because nobody does this alone. Absolutely. So coming up on May 17th, if that's something that sounds of interest to you, you need to understand we've only got, uh, what do we say, eight slots eight, for this? Eight, eight, eight slots. Tickets. And spouses can attend free. Yeah, we're not going to charge any additional if your spouse wants to come along with you. But this is going to be at the beautiful Sarasota Surf and Racket Club right on Siesta Key Beach. It's an incredible place down there in Florida, and uh, I'm excited about it, Les. We're going to have a great time gathering with a small group of pastors, really pouring in to their individual specific needs, where they're at with their business, how we can help bring some breakthrough for them on their entree pastor journey. And I can't wait to see the people who walk away from there that that then go back with the plan of action with some strategic connections to people that can help open doors for them and help make things possible that they might not have thought possible going into it. So if they want to get registered and signed up for that, where do they go, Les? Go to entrepastors.com forward slash live. Tell you all about it. Fantastic, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. We look forward to being with you again next week. Until then, God bless everyone. Let's go turn up that financial thermostat. Let's do better. God bless. God bless.